Okay, thank you all for staying with us. This is, uh, I believe, the last panel of the day. Uh, thank you all for who, uh, thank you to everybody who made it through the entire day to uh, be with this panel. Um, I think it's, it's going to be really interesting. It was funny when Brian first uh, mentioned it to me, it seemed like super broad, but uh, in the green room, just talking with uh, my fellow panelists, I think that uh, we came up with some really interesting things uh, that we'll be talking about and we'll certainly encourage um, vigorous dialogue and uh, questions and so forth at the end. So um, what I'll do is I'll introduce myself and then ask all of my uh, fellow panelists to introduce themselves and when they do so, uh, talk a little bit briefly about what it is that um, they are doing that will change the uh, music industry in the coming years. There's, um, uh, uh, the, the, so the, the, over, the topic is, I guess, what is the future of music or the big picture? Uh, what is going to change in the industry? And uh, we will try to tackle some of those things in the few uh, minutes that we have. My name is Brian Calhoun. I work with an artist management company called Blueprint Group, which is part of Maverick. I oversee digital strategy for our clients. We represent Lil Wayne, Nicki Minaj, T.I., G-Eazy, Jill Scott, The Roots, Marky Basie, Belly, and August Alsina, and Tish Hyman. Um, uh, I also uh, do consulting work for various uh, uh, digital service providers, and um, I am a co-founder in a company called Freeform. My partner, Tim Quirk, is somewhere around here, and we built a platform that allows artists and labels to launch their albums as apps and leverage the same kind of monetization and distribution strategies that mobile games use. Um, I will uh, just start and just, maybe we start down at the end, and Piper, you could uh, introduce yourself and tell us what briefly it is that you're doing to change the industry. Sure, hi everybody, my name is Piper Payne. I'm the uh, San Francisco chapter of the president, uh, president of the Recording Academy chapter here in San Francisco. Um, we are here because we're trying to speak up for artists' rights. Um, creators are their own advocates and they need to have an organized voice. So one of the main things that we're working on, um, which you probably know about, is the uh, Grammy Awards. Um, but we do a lot more than that. We're working on credits, metadata, sound quality, uh, we're working on uh, some copyright reform and legisla legislation uh, that's currently in the House right now. Uh, so that's what I'm doing. And I'm Scott Olakowski. I'm one of the uh, founders of Plex, and I run products. And um, Plex is about helping people take their personal media, their music, their photos, their videos, and organizing it, making it look beautiful, and then giving them access across any device that they can stream to, whether it's in their home on their TV or their game console or their laptop or on the road with their mobile devices and try to give them the best experience possible. So for us, our goal is to you know, kind of help you know, lead the runner on what the experience should be. So now that we're on every platform and we can bring all this media together, our goal is to really help evolve the experience. It's all about you know, taking this media and making it not just awesome, but bringing it to a new level. Hi, my name is Haney Nada. I'm a not douchey venture capitalist. <laughs> uh, so far, that seems true. <laughs> uh, no, uh, so I'm a founder of GGV Capital. We've been around for 17 years. We have a shit ton of under, under management. And I've been looking for, searching for ways to make money in the music business because I think that's the way to uh, really kind of revitalize the industry for that's been kind of decimated for the last 15, 20 years. And it's been tough. We're, right now we're investors in SoundCloud, Pandora, a couple other small startups. Uh, we have a lot of investments actually in the digital media space, so we've done pretty well, knock on wood. But still looking for that purple unicorn that's going to make a lot of money for everybody in the industry. Nice. Uh, Scott Ryan, VP of Music for Gracenote. Uh, spent the last 10 years or so working with music technology and data and helping a variety of different companies create new experiences. Uh, big part of, uh, this is actually my second tour at Gracenote these last four months. Uh, it was with Gracenote between 06 and 2012. Joined a company called The Echo Nest that was picked up by Spotify about a year and a half later and also worked with a metadata startup that was working in media for television. So 
watching this industry sh change so quickly and it's been really exciting to be able to... Was that uh, a Freudian slip? Did you say the industry shit? Is that what I change? <laughs> I was I was trying. No. Actually, part of why I'm really excited... <laughs> why I'm really excited to be back at Grace Note is that uh, the Grace Note today has now a combination of eight separate companies in video, TV, film, sports, etc. And a big part of what I see happening is all those experiences kind of coming together in a really smart way. So music is such a massive part of the scoring of film, um, even the highlight clips from sports. So I'm excited that there's some new opportunities for monetization for both artists and for uh, services. Hi, I'm Philip Kaplan. I am the founder of DistroKid. Uh, does anybody know DistroKid? Okay. Um, we are a, a music distribution service, so we help artists and labels get their music into uh, all the different stores and streaming services like iTunes and Spotify and, and everywhere else. Um, the way that we're different um, from uh, the, 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 the other ones um, is uh, DistroKid uh, charges, um, we only charge a, a, a fee of $20 a year um, to an artist and once they're a member they can upload unlimited um, songs and albums. Um, to all the stores, and we take no percentage of royalties. Uh, I think we're, we're, if not one of the biggest, the biggest distributors right now. I think um, we released about 350 albums every day. Um, we just started uh, a little less than three years ago. Um, and uh, and to answer the question of you know what we're doing um, to sort of change the future of music, you know, our goal is to sort of uh, by making it very cheap and very fast, we can also get you into iTunes in 20 minutes after you upload. Um, and one of the reason why we do it so inexpensively and so quickly and, and everything is um, to sort of remove any sort of barrier there is from any sort of creative, any song that you, you, you come up with, like that song should theoretically be in stores. Um, and there's uh, a lot of music that we put out that people may not have ever, you know, paid respect to, to, to CD Baby and TuneCore um, who are here. but. Uh, there's a lot of music that people might not have decided, well, I'm going to pay 40 bucks to put this album in stores because I don't know if it's that good. But with DistroKid, it's sort of it's free once they're a member. So um, they upload it, and then lo and behold, a lot of those songs turn into like big viral hits, and we've had you know number one Billboard charting songs and, and all kinds of stuff. So that's what we do. Very cool. Thank you. Um, so Scott Ryan, since we have two Scots on our panel, um, I think what it would be great to get to uh, the conversation started would be to talk a little bit about um, what your perspective is. We're talking about um, the what are the what makes music different, but what also makes uh, music the same with respect to other forms of digital media and how um, uh, and how like distribution, monetization, and, and metadata and so forth uh, are compare. Sure, I, I think uh, it's been interesting to watch industry transformation, and I mean we've. For many of us in the room that have been doing this for some time, we've had something like four or five major format shifts or major major market shifts. When we compare that to the perspective of, say, DVD to streaming video, why did that seem like it was so smooth, right? One day, Netflix just stopped shipping DVDs, and the next thing you know, you had streaming services. Whereas we've gone through the last 15 plus years, what, CD to PD, um, to piracy, P2P, back into downloads, now into streaming. We've had all these different format shifts and a big part of that really confused a lot of the consumers and the overall experiences. I think uh, we've seen some great traction on ultimately, and I think Haney, you brought it up, whatever's easiest is what's gonna get consumption, right? Uh, when we compare this to what's happening in TV or movies, though, I keep thinking that some ways we're getting it, we're doing a better job now, but we're still not being as easy as possible for people to get to. And when I think of consumption around music, I think about one of the p panelists actually shown a light on earlier today. We're still in some ways competing with how easy it is in a car just to press that one big button and music comes on. I think that really should be should be the goal that we ultimately have, but we have to be able to get there to a point where, and we can, where personalization is a big part of it, or that we're able to really understand the other components and dimensions, because music's so complex. Andy, what do you think from a user experience perspective? Uh, um, so I think first, um, do we have any facts checkers here? 
No. Okay. I think the music business, music. Ex- there's more lawyers and music execs than there is in the entire movie and video business, and I would wager that is probably a true statement. Um, that is the biggest. I think to uh, to me that has been the biggest impediment for me to invest, or I think other venture capitalists to invest in the music business. But anytime you you meet a company and they have to do a deal with an artist or a label or copyrights to, to, to work out their model, we just shy away. Um, it takes forever. Uh, they take an arm and a leg and a limb. Um, it's, it's very difficult. I think so. I think from the, uh, the creative side to get, to try to figure out alternative models to get to a music, music fan or an artist to a music fan has been blo- uh, roadblocked and blockaded by kind of how the industry has been historically uh, gotten here to date. So I think there's a lot of supply chain problems for companies to get their music or artists to get their music to the fans. From the fan side, look, I think most listeners to music have been treated like a herd of cattle. And, and the music industry over the last 50, 100 years had to concentrate attention, plays, uh, sales to the top 100, top 200 artists because that's the only way that the music industry can make a lot of money by selling records or by having uh, concerts. The, the industry's changed, and I don't think, I mean, listening has changed, and I don't think the industry's caught up to how people enjoy music, the diversity of music that you see out there. And I think that's probably one of the biggest issues that users face. Is it, is it also a value issue? Well, I mean, uh, what do you mean by that? I mean, in terms of... Is it the Scott and Haney show all of a sudden? Uh, I hope not. Uh, from a value perspective, you see music and commercials. You see music and film. So, look, I, I think where you're, where, you're, where you're leading me to, uh, lead a horse to water, um, I think where you're leading, to, uh, uh, leading me to is that I think, look, in the end, Spotify, Pandora, SoundCloud, Amazon, Google, Apple, Tidal, the list goes on and on. They're all, many of them are seeing music as a lost leader. They want to get you, the listener, to their site so that they can sell you something else. In the case of Amazon and Apple and others, it's a lost leader. So they've turned music into a commodity, music as a product, as a commodity. And the only place artists have been able to make money in the last 20 years is on the services, the concerts, the merch, special events, the VIP. That's where the real money's been made in the last 15 years. If you guys want to go back and try to make money off the product, I think the distribution model, the payment model, all that has to change. Okay, so does that mean that you feel like, and maybe this is a question uh, best answered by Piper, that there should be some copyright reform to make some of these issues uh, less of a challenge? Uh, absolutely. Um, right now, we're not, we don't have the ability to have rate parity across all the platforms, all the different, different places that people are consuming music. Um, the, these, those services are paying different amounts of money to the artists or to the labels. Um, we also don't have the, the right um, payment that goes out to the songwriters and the people actually creating the music. Um, so yes, absolutely, we need, we need copyright reform. And it's something that, uh, that the Recording Academy um, has been working on in Washington for a long time. They've been watching Congress uh, for a while, uh, waiting for them to, um, to push some change through for copyright, um, for copyright reform. And it's something that's been pledged as, as, um, uh, as a goal, and it hasn't quite happened yet. Okay, so um, I guess in addition to that, going back to the monetization point, um, if you are a, uh, a creator that is not generating revenue from, as Haney said, uh, merch and touring, what, is, what does the future hold? How can you make a living in this industry going forward? So if you're only making money as a, as, as a writer and you know, off of your sound recordings. Well, let's start with, um, are you being credited properly for your sound recordings? Um, is, what is, is there a mechanism there that you're able to keep track of what you've created for in your lifetime and what you have uh, for your reputation, reputation and your repertoire that you've made as an artist? Um, how is that information going out to the fans or other potential co-creators or collaborators to be able to let you monetize that part of, uh, as, uh, that part of your career as an artist? Um, you know, forgetting the first, you know, what, what you mentioned, um, uh, Haney, it was the, um, 
the top 200 artists or whatever. We have a huge amount of middle class musicians that are just trying to pay their bills and just trying to raise a family or have, or have a house. Um, and if they're not being credited properly for their work, they, can't, they won't get called for the next gig, for that next session, or for that next songwriting collaboration possibility. Um, so what, you know, what, what would be the most helpful for those people to be able to even get paid at all is be, be credited properly for the work that they're creating. In, in addition, they're, they're, Something that, that I see all the time is, first of all, you, you, I agree. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. One last point was wow, that the, per, the person <laughs> from the Midwest, I'm too polite. Um, the, the, the company that's able to actually deliver all of this stuff and deliver that, um, that rich experience and that, that information to the consumers, there's potentially a lot of money in that, I would think. A, a, you, you make an excellent point about there being a lot of middle class musicians. You know, a lot of people complain, obviously, about how much money people make from streaming and such. You know, I can say that at DistroKid, we, we distribute, our, our artists earn roughly a million dollars a month right now, and it grows every single month. And that's spread out across like 90,000 artists. And it's not like we have, you know, yeah, we might have somebody who's, you know, every now and then we have a gigantic hit and somebody made, you know, half a million dollars. But for the most part, it's like, that you know, it, the, the, the you know there's the the long tail and like the the fat middle is all people who are making like you know a couple grand a month. Um, may, it may not be a living. Depends where you live. It's it's important to a lot of people. It definitely helped you know helps them in lots of ways. And 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 the the way that we see those numbers go up is um, by sort of removing how many hands are in the cookie jar. So. Mm -hmm. Um, like there's sort of the, these economies of scale that the internet makes possible where you, you can just put things out without having to, like uh, here's, uh, th here's an example, this happens all the time, I'll give you one example. When DistroKid, um, we had an artist, this one was a hit, I probably, you know, probably shouldn't say exactly what it is because who knows, whatever, I don't know if I'm allowed to, but it doesn't matter. Um, it's, a rock so it's a rap song, it became very popular. Um, it, uh, it turned into a dance craze on YouTube. Like, so it was this viral thing, all these people doing this dance. Guy made a lot of money. It was just a song that he uploaded himself to DistroKid. Um, we had six people email us, six different claimants, and say, oh, well, we, we actually, I signed a thing with this guy two years ago, some, like, management, like, contract, and, like, so I own it. And then somebody else was like, well, I, I produced it, and I had this deal with him where I was supposed to get, you know, 20%. And, like... All there, just people came out of, and this is not unusual. And people just come out of the woodwork, and it makes you realize, like, I feel bad for this poor guy. At the end, he didn't need any of these people. He just needed to like get some dancer to dance to his song, and it became a craze. And so, anyway, sort of eliminating hands in the cookie jar does a big part. To you help. know, would, would it be disclosure to do the dance right now? <laughs> yeah, I can do, yeah, I can can do, do it? the dance a little bit. <laughs> I'll do the dance after. Somebody has How about post happy hour? Okay, there you go. There we go. So, so specifically, how does credit? turn into money? Well, if you are not credited properly for your recording or the thing that you contributed to as a creator, you can't claim money. I mean, I, how did this person, how did this person actually work it out with these other people that? Well, the way I work it out is I always say, um, well, well, we'll keep the money in escrow and then all of you guys have to work it out amongst yourselves and sort of last man standing. Whoever's the last one to say, you know, we worked it all out. Now, how did they work it out? One guy got 50 grand, one guy got 20 grand, you know what I mean? And they just yeah. like handed out money to everybody and they all went away. And I've heard, I've heard stories like that many, many times. Um, there's, there are ways that we, as, uh, as, the, as the music creators, I'm a mastering engineer by trade, um, that for instance, when we're, putting the, when we're putting the finished record together, getting it ready for manufacturing, um, if we had a mechanism uh, to be able to clearly state who contributed to the record at that point before it gets famous, yes. if it's all worked out ahead of time, I mean, that's why, one reason why I think DistroKid is great, because you guys actually work out the splits ahead of time. Yes, we, we do. Yeah, I mean, there's, I don't know, I mean, there, uh, there are other companies no, we're the only that do one. that too, but... <laughs> no, there's nobody else. There are, uh, you know... I feel so Trump-like. Your, your competitors do as well. Nope, they um, don't. But the, for the people that don't, for the people that are just releasing their music on YouTube, for instance, is there a mechanism to, to create all that, that in the, those splits and everything ahead so, of time, so, or...? So, so this, it, it's sort of like the, 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 the um, 
you know, the technology has come such a long way that it's much cheaper to do all this stuff. But at the same time, it's become incredibly more complex. So like you're saying, so we, we not a commercial for DistroKid, but we do splits. You can say this guy gets 20% and she gets 15% or whatever this song, and then we'll, we'll do the splits. Nobody else does that. Um, so uh, uh, what, what, and if you look, and in fact, I just looked just before um, the panel, the, the top... 10 songs, you can look right now on the Billboard Hot 100, the top 10 songs, eight of them are Chainsmokers featuring Halsey, so-and-so featuring Major Lazer, so-and-so featuring Rihanna. Um, the amount of collaborations and featured artists is so crazy now that a big thing that we deal with is, is exactly this. I've got 17 people on 37 different tracks and everybody needs to be credited and needs to be paid and, and it became... It, People, you're no longer like a drummer in a band. You're, you're like a free agent drummer and you're in 50 bands and you want to get credited and you want to get paid from all these different places. So, so really what we're talking about here is we're talking about metadata, right? So, uh, the M word. <laughs> the M word, right, exactly. Uh, so without spending the rest of the entire panel talking about metadata, uh, Scott, would you mind chiming in with respect to your thoughts on how this can be improved and what should be the result? Yeah, there's aspects here that I think from a, I, I think most of what's needed here is more or less solved. Organizational, organizational data, you know, in some of these cases it's flat out, the artist wasn't very organized and that's not something I think we're gonna solve either in this room or in the next five to 10 years. That's just, that's just more or less foundational what's happening. Mm -hmm. I think, but you look at a lot of cases, the tools are out there. If the, you know, 10 years on, there's data around, there's recording IDs, there's, there's strong databases, there's an international understanding. I think we can all fairly admit it's still too complex in terms of all the different rights you need to go secure for any given point. But in general, those tools are there. And there's even fingerprinting to identify what's out there that may not have metadata and be able to tie that together. I think it's really gonna come down to these next couple of years, tying that all together in a smart way. And somebody or some entity, or as we saw in the blockchain conversation earlier, some, some movement coming together where there's enough attention towards putting this effort out there. And I think from a, from, from a general standpoint, I think that will come through. I think. That metadata is important. I think just as important though is that we spend time thinking about what's the overall user experience and how is that improving. I think so often we, especially at conferences like this because it's a friendly and knowledgeable crowd, we know there's uh, some of these areas in our own house are, are basically not particularly clean, but I think we really need to focus more on new experiences and new ways to get people consuming music because I still don't think from the value perspective that we've really unlocked all the value of music in some of these regards. Yeah, totally. And I think from that point, I'd really like to catch up with Scott and hear yeah. a little more about how are you guys building new experiences? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit it on the head, right? I mean, I, today, I can't go to one service and find every TV show and movie that I want, right? It's actually, um, it's a bit of a shit show. Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, this, everything's everywhere. But with music, I can get pretty close today, right? It's actually pretty different. But we're starting to see exclusives on different services. We're starting to see, you know, um, the SoundCloud, MixCloud, YouTube, the other, or all this stuff is starting to find its, um, its own channels, its own niches. And, you know, one of the things that we do as a business is try to help bring that all together, bring that into one place where you can enjoy what you care about without worrying about all the deals that had to happen to, you know, you know, get Netflix their exclusive here, or Hulu their exclusive there, or Title their exclusive here, and Apple their exclusive there. So I think you know we're we've seen this massive aggregation, but we're starting to see the signs of you know people having to work out these other deals, and that's going to, you know, I think in some ways create more value because people might actually end up with two services instead of one. Um, but ultimately, what I care about as the end user is the experience, right? I want to be able to experience this content in a way that's awesome. And it's not just, you know, going to be one little music service or whatever. It's going to be, you know, access to live, access to backstage stuff, access to VR versions of these concerts, whatever they are. That's what's going to matter in the future because I do have access to so much at the push of a button. So in terms of experiences, uh, we were talking about uh, streaming quality and the quality of the music. Is that something that really is going to be a real differentiator? 
Yes. <laughs> no, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yes, if it's dead simple, doesn't cost any more, and just happens to be benchmarked against something that sounds... I'm surprised that the mastering engineer feels sound quality is important. <laughs> so, at, at, okay, I'll take my Recording Academy president hat off, and I'll put my mastering, ha- my mastering hat on. Um, we are creating very high quality masters in the studio and we are delivering them to the labels we are delivering them to iTunes we are delivering them to the artists themselves to do with with whatever they want with them but, but and let's do you're a show, absolutely let, right let's that, do a show of hands well, okay wait hold on let's do a show of well, hands well who's right in now. the audience though first i'm, I'm kind of curious who we're talking to <laughs> yes yeah musicians For, like full time musicians okay um, tech people, like crea- crea- creative techni- technology. Yeah. Startups. You can raise your hand more than once, yep. right? Yep. Haney, did you want to ask how many lawyers are in the audience? Yes. Lynch them! Hey. Lynch them! Get them all! <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> all right, so... You, so well, I saw those lawyers raise their hand on the musician as well. They though. did. So we're, we're they did. Musician lawyers. We're all our own that. lawyers. Okay, so you, so you, you hit upon the, the exact thing. It's, it's, how it's how much more difficult is it for the consumer to hear that high quality thing? We're not asking labels or, or streaming companies or anything to cannibalize this market of MP3 streamable things or MP3 downloads. We're not asking them to cannibalize that market that they already have, we're just asking them to enable higher quality um, uh, files available or uh, the, the high quality masters that we're creating at, at a high high sample rate, high bit depth. So how many people sport, how many yeah. how, how many people here have extreme yeah. listening on their Spotify account? Half time. Half of my Sonos, yes. How many people don't down. know where that setting is? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is that more than you thought? That's actually more than I thought. Yeah. 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 Well how many people if you knew where it was would pay extra for it? That's about yeah. right. So I think I think there are there are definitely other markets for for these these high quality um, uh, high resolution let's put it that way high resolution files to be available um, as a separate market for those music lovers and that's going to come down to the experience too um, for the consumers um, if you make it and make it available and make it easy for the listener I don't know why you wouldn't if all things being equal why they wouldn't choose a higher quality recording. Do we think this is just an inevitability, though, that it used to be bandwidth that held things back? Which is not really a problem it's, anymore. It's not I mean, anywhere. And when it comes to the, and to your point, it, Amy, but, but if you talk, if you talk to the average person, you know, I, you've got a fixed amount of uh, storage on your device. Would you rather have a hundred songs or thirty songs? Most of the population in the U.S. would say a hundred songs. Hundred yeah. mediocre as opposed to thirty great. I actually look at the speakers and headphones people are using as one of the bigger issues, yeah. you know, today. Yeah. Right? It's a lot of crap. It'll be interesting. I think um, just to kill this point, to kill to beat a dead horse, um, Apple's uh, push for wireless, Apple's push for Beats headphones, which they own, the new chip that they've developed, this new Bluetooth chip, which has a direct uh, a DAC on the chip itself. I think you're going to hear from Apple push quality of music or quality of sound more and more, and it'll become more important. That's my, that's my belief. It has to. But, I think, but honestly, I think most consumers don't care. You know, okay. There's 10% that might care, but most people don't care. Well, they, they don't, don't know to care. Yeah. Right. It's I think that's, yeah, I think that's big. Until there's but, a dancing shadow commercial. So, so maybe the audience is a little frustrated like me right now. I think for the past 30 minutes or so, we've been talking about mice nuts. Um, we've been talking about how do, how do I get my share of that penny a little bit bigger? And frankly, one of the things, one of the most frustrating things for me is that this industry commands a lot of attention from consumers. We spend more time in entertained with music than any other medium out there, video, sports, what have you, yet this industry is by a factor, at least the smallest factor is two, the largest factor is 10, times less valuable than the NFL, than sports, than ABC, NBC, all the movies, and that's the thing that frustrates me the most, and this is the reason why I'm still hanging around the hoop to figure out how do you, how do you move up a factor of two or more in value rather than trying to get a bigger piece of the penny that people are storing around the streaming? That to me is, I think, the final question that should be, we should be trying to answer. 
So one of the uh, notions that we were talking about um, was the fact that artists have traditionally been restricted uh, from doing certain types of deals when they sign to labels. Um, and uh, when artists are renegotiating their deals are maybe not doing deals where they're as restricted. Uh, is that going to be a key component to changing the industry going forward? I'll, uh, I'll start because I'm excited about this. I mean, we've actually seen with some really, really major artists, they're starting to carve out cool stuff out of their, their uh, next big deal that they're doing. So, and, we're, and then on the other side, we're seeing more direct stuff where there's maybe not a label involved, where these guys have a lot more control over what they can and can't do with their content and the experiences they can or can't create. So what, you know, to me, it's gonna take a, it's gonna take a while, but we're gonna start to see it. We're gonna start to see some major ones do it. We're gonna see a groundswell of you know, more independence, and there's gonna be stuff that they can do, experiences they create that they can do on platforms that they couldn't because of their label before, and they can actually start making some real revenue from these new experiences. So that's, to me, it's one of the most exciting things that we're starting to see. Cool, I, th right. I think there's gotta be an anti-indentured servant law. <laughs> I mean, think about if, 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 lay, uh, if these contracts in the industry were, like, the most you could sign up was for a three-year contract, and after that, papers burned. I think that would change the dr dramatically in terms of how this industry evolves, and it may also change the value of an artist, but to me, I think there's a, the problem is the contracts that they signed limit the use of, of, the, of the music, of the art, in a very, very constricted way, in a way that only um, a handful of people can control, which makes it very difficult, I think, for entrepreneurs to come up with new ideas of how to help artists make more money or how to engage more fans or what have you. I think that to me is one of the areas that I think, instead of a copyright redoing, I think you should think about actual an indentured servant law, an anti-indentured servant law. Still a long time. Anyway, sorry. But, I mean, but don't you think it's at least worth updating the copyright law? Oh, for I sure, mean, for sure. Look, every, Every change is, is, is a right change. I think it, it is changing. From when I started looking at this business 12, 15 years ago, uh, there's been some positive directions, uh, but it's just so slow compared to even television. It's, it's slower than television, which is the part that's frustrating. How, how, do, we, how do we grow the pie, though? If we're going to use that as something to focus on the next 10 minutes. <laughs> how do we ultimately create better experiences? How do we bring richer content out there? How do we bring that, that really cool double album kind of moment when you see like something really uh, unique? Allow the non-lawyer suits to do their job. I mean, there's, this is an interesting business. There's not enough business people in it, to be completely frank. There's not enough entrepreneurs. There's not enough business people in it. There's a lot of artists. There's fantastic artists. And there's a lot of great lawyers but there's not enough business people. I'm gonna answer that question, so I'm gonna take my moderator hat off and be a panelist for a moment. Um, so, it, you know, in my role working with artists, um, I am very encouraged by a, a number of the products that the various uh, DSPs are putting out into the marketplace that allow you to do things outside of just generate revenue from your streaming royalties. So. Uh, Pandora released the artist marketing platform today and it gives you great opportunity to do things for artists to connect to their fans through the platform and their scale. Um, you've got uh, platforms like Spotify which have programs, they've got original content programs that are allowing you to do and uh, uh, allowing you to contact your fans through their platform to sell merch and, and whatnot. Uh, YouTube gives you some really great opportunities to do some things and with their acquisition of Bandpage to do some direct to fan communication stuff. So I'm encouraged by those things and I think that those are some of the things that are gonna help grow the industry and make the pie bigger overall too. So I'm, that's the thing that I'm probably most excited about that I see people actually making uh, uh, investments in. and. Um, uh, I believe, I don't know if Tim is still here, but uh, Tim Quirk uh, wrote, a great art, wrote a great piece about it in Hypebot a few weeks ago about the arms race between the uh, DSPs. Um, Should we open up to the audience? for? That's exactly what I was about awesome. to do. So um, I believe there is a microphone somewhere. Somebody got a roving microphone? Is that the case? Is that true? Or a really yes? loud voice. Exactly. All right. Yeah, I know, they, I know they have rules against that, so I want to make sure we get it. All right, uh, questions up here in front. Hold on. 
Hey guys, so I keep on hearing this user experience and that's gonna get us to a, a different world and a bigger piece of the pie. <clears throat> but I think the reality is, if we're talking about a user experience, is let's give the user what they want, which is everything at any given point, which is comes down to the legalities and clearing master and publishing side rights and doing this whole thing. So until these walls are broken down and we have a centralized database for every copyright of every song, everything that's ever been written, and those doors open up and we have transparency into those worlds, that we're never gonna be able to give the consumer what they want because exactly what Hanny was just saying is that there's too many lawyers in this business and there's too many walls to cross down. And, when, and exactly what Scott was saying is being able to have a portal to have accessibility to this. So, I mean, the user experience is great, but let's, let's get to reality here. Is like the back end of what all you guys do here at this table is let's give them what they want and break down the walls and get together and have one central unified thought about how we can do that. And that's what, that's what so I have to say. It's interesting, in the hall I ran into Benji who's doing this blockchain thing. I don't know if you guys, he's talked about that. That's really intriguing. Instead of a centralized database, every piece of music contains the rights, if you will, um, or information about it. But being able to match an ISRC with the pub right now is non-existent unless, you know what I mean? So I think the blockchain could really save the world, and I'm a big fan of the OMI and Benji and the whole thing, but the reality is too is with blockchain, the negativity comes from the fact it's Bitcoin-based and there's a ledger in that and then being able to police that ledger and the whole thing, so. Sorry. And it brings back eerie memories of DRM, right? So That's, <laughs> yeah, or, or in the open source, then no one wants to play their hands, you know what right. I mean? And then and, and in order to have an open source platform like the blockchain, we have to play their hands, and like everybody up here has a proprietary technology of their own sort. Yours being the business minded, or whatever it is, and everybody here at the table is like, we need to open that up and get on the same page in order for that user experience to be more so. Another question? Okay. Al Glenn, KPOO San Francisco. There was some comments earlier about lost leaders that the big tech companies can afford financially to operate their streaming services as lost leaders. For the pure play, it's not too encouraging. If more business people needs to come into the fold to develop or refine the business models for profitability, what incentives to engage those business people to break that barrier down that is missing from the industry? because it obviously would be the business people who would give focus to bottom line, although I've heard from multiple panels the emphasis on top line only, revenue growth. But that doesn't translate readily into what matters most, profitability. That's where the capital goes, where the opportunities lie. I'll answer the question with another question. Um, how did Walmart get disrupted? You know, if you think about, um, you know, who, where, the, where the industry is today, I think the industry is Walmart. Uh, and I think of what happened with Amazon uh, and e-commerce in general and how that has disrupted e uh, Walmart and it's made them very, very nervous and they went out and started making acquisitions at very big prices. They are being disrupted. Physical retailing is getting disrupted today because of online world and mobile world especially. I think something like that needs to happen. Do you know who makes the most money right now out of the music business? Anybody? Apple. They get 30% off the top. 30% off the top. Nobody has that kind of margin in the music business. Not even the labels. That's, that's, that's where who makes a lot of money. So I think, I think there's one of you guys out there, maybe not in this room, maybe in this room, I don't know, it's, it's going to figure out a model that makes sense for the artists, the bands, the labels, and the fans. Uh, I'm not sure what it looks like. Um, I'd love to know if you guys, know, if anybody wants to know, I've got lots of money burning a hole in my pocket. Uh, but, <laughs> but seriously, I, there, there's a solution out there. Um, and there's a lot of walls that between now and then, but they will get disrupted. Next question, yeah. Hi, thank you. Um, the problem is every streaming website is not useful to independent artists because every website is going to host and stream major artists and when you go to their homepage, they all feature Drake, Nicki Minaj, etc. So the thing that I did is what you just said. I made a website that only hosts and streams independent artists' music with a simple 
homepage. I think that's the only way because how can an independent artist promote themselves on those websites? Well, look, I mean, um, SoundCloud got to 70 million users by hosting independent artists. Um, and if you take a, and I, we're investors in SoundCloud, so I can't talk ill of the new model, but um, and I think I just did. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, I, I think, look, I, 50 years ago, um, long, there was no such thing as long tail artists. Um, you just, you know, long tail artists played in, in, a, in a bar, in a local bar. Um, today, there are long term artists. There's artists out that are being listened to by thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people that are very successful artists. Um, so I think we've come a long way from a, the concentrated list problem to a much more diverse music base. And I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to continue. Um, but it's going to take time for users to understand that not everybody likes, not everybody should like Drake or Rihanna. There's, that there's a lot of great music in the middle and there's a lot of great music at the tail as well. The problem is that Sony and Warner Brothers, they all bought, bought a piece of SoundCloud, so they're going to force SoundCloud to promote their artists. Now, when it comes to independent artists, how can now somebody you search... my problem. No, how can somebody search an independent artist when they don't know their name? Because in the search bar it says, search artist, uh, band, song. But if you don't know the artist, how can you search for somebody? Well, that, that's where personalization and recommendation come, come into play. And the, uh, the platforms that I think that do that best are going to be able to serve that need. I mean, it's not, not, not that it's not a challenge. It absolutely is a challenge, for sure. But, but here's the thing. So given the fact that Spotify, Tidal, Sony, all these, other, all these distribution platforms offer the same shit, yeah. um, they're going to start figuring out, oh, how do I differentiate myself? How do I get myself different? You can pay millions of dollars to get a, a, a Nicki Minaj exclusive. Or maybe I could do something different, you know, offer a better curation service or better service. And think about this, right? Anybody remember uh, Turntable? Yep. Yep. For the first three months, Turntable was an amazing service because everybody was in there, was passionate about music. I discovered a shit ton of great music. I was thumbing up stuff I've never heard before. And then it got popular. And what happens? It was to the top 100 and I left. And it collapsed very quickly after that. I think that's a lesson Spotify SoundCloud, YouTube, all these guys are paying attention to because what happens in the end, if music gets, if the content gets concentrated, uh, con if, the, if the content gets concentrated in the top 100, there's no differentiation between the right. platforms and the lowest common denominator wins. And I think they're all nervous about that. So I do think that there will be room for differentiated middle, middle class musicians and long tail musicians. Yeah. For all these independent artists that are yeah, in this we room. need to move to somebody would, else okay, well, ask okay. some other questions. Would, would you what website would you guys recommend? Co college Radio. <laughs> I'm serious. What you're that's asking is an age-old marketing question. Like, How do I, I mean, get people to find out about me? A lot me, of people is, find, find brand new music is through, um, through smaller ra uh, local radio stations playing local music and local artists. Now, there's a big problem around how those artists get paid and through big broadcasters that really needs to be sorted out but um but that's i mean that's how i would find new music it's not like by having the internet tell me who i should listen to i just want to hear what the tastemaker and what the curator curator of a radio station that i think is great thinks is great i think that's right my old kentucky blog my friends who are you know, into music I, that's where i get my source of music. i think you're asking the age old how do i get famous question what's the which uh, is press contests, get into Spotify playlists, make a viral video on YouTube, have really awesome music, play really great shows. Just like all those Stay, stu the, stay stupid shit on the, the three? Panel. The three are radio, <laughs> TV and movies, and my friend. Yeah. I think are the top three, over 50% that, of people that might be music. That might be the um, independent artist's end goal, is to be famous. They're, like once they're, not, once they're more famous than what your, what your website is gonna hold than what the next the next generation of independent artists comes through. But what happens after they start making money? Then how do they actually, how do they actually hold on to that and make a real career out of it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's get here. the microphone out. Here we go. I've got it right here. Hi, my name's Corey Davis. Another uh, suit. <laughs> Haney, I appreciate your perspective on Walmart and Amazon. And it seems like at its key, Amazon won because of automation. And so in the sense of the music industry, how do you start to implement automation? I mean, is there a role for machine-readable codes? The thing I kind of think of in that example is in the 1970s, the barcode was invented specifically to manage this issue. How do you continually identify the same thing and get consistent data around it? You must have a startup that's doing barcodes for music. 
I wish I was a startup. We're actually a 20-year-old company. That's still a startup. <laughs> uh, I, I, um, so I think some of the automation, uh, you, you heard a little bit Piper talk about it, like uh, whether it's fingerprinting music or, uh, or you know, metadata around the music, that's going to help a lot. I mean, I, the, the main reason why you know, uh, some of these acquisitions have happened in the uh, distribution businesses, I don't no names here, um, is because to manage the rights and to pay out the artist the right amount is an incredibly complex yeah. job. And there's hundreds of millions of dollars at risk if you don't do it right. Um, so I think there's some automation coming to that. It's going to fix that particular problem. But I think the problem that I'm talking about is much larger, right? How do you, how do you get the music that I want to listen to to me at the right time, at the right quality, and tailored in a way that fits my economics. You know, I talked a little bit, I think, last sessions about you know, the, my dolphin, minnows, and whales analogy. I think there's people that are you know, minnows that are always going to be ad-supported because they can't afford or don't want to pay or music doesn't put out that important for them. I think there's dolphins that are out there that will pay $100, $200 a year for the music services. And there's guys out there that will pay tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, per year for their music services. And so you've got to figure out how to target each of those individuals and give them the product and service they want. Agreed. Thank you. Other questions? Right here? Hold on, wait for the microphone. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I mean, when I grew up and I wanted music on demand, I had to go buy it, right? The 45 or the record. I could maybe sit by my tape recorder all day, and if I didn't value my time, which is You're an not that old, I come didn't. on. Um, if I sat by my tape recorder all day, maybe I'd get a few of these hot tracks I wanted in something, and I could play them on demand, but they still had commercials. Uh, for my kids, which are now that age that I'm referring back to, they'll turn YouTube on. It's free. They won't even watch the video. It's just free on-demand content. So in my opinion, honey, you should invest elsewhere <laughs> until content isn't just freely available like that. Not the peer-to-peer -peer free stuff of days old, but literally a legitimate service where I can get any song I want at any point for free, I think takes a bunch of money off the market. But, that what if the be commercial, but what if the commercials actually yielded more revenue than a subscription for a month? Could yeah. be. I mean, I haven't heard that happen, but what if, <laughs> I see Pandora running towards pulling my, getting my when, wallet out and not living off the advertisements. Oh, it's a, it's a fair point for sure, but back in the day of mobile, mobile ads were insanely inexpensive and cheap because nobody really knew what to do with them. Fast forward and being able to target mobile ads on location or have some additional understanding of who it's being, who it's being targeted to, and they become more and more valuable. I'm not saying that ads are going to be able to eclipse subscription anytime soon, but in that type of scenario, if we get better at personalization, we get better at being able to deliver the right content to the right person, I think there's yep. scenarios where that becomes a lot more meaningful. Now, that's an entirely separate situation to how YouTube is paying, so I'm not, I'm not approaching that subject at all. But I think there, once again, on the value side, I think there's opportunity there. I just liked Hani's call to arms, entrepreneurship out there. I just don't like to go build a business around stuff that's being given out for free. It's not free, though. There's ads. You pay with your attention. I mean, you, you, and that's or, great. or you subscribe and that's great to YouTube, for YouTube Red. I guess they've cornered the market of free on-demand. Uh, but that you it make an excellent point. It seems free. Lost leader for like your the same way. kids think it's, they think of it as free, even though it's. Yeah, I think we have time for one more okay. question. One question between us and Happy Hour right now. I think so. Who's going to do it? It better Pick be a good a really one. Really good question. This is pressure. Okay, okay. I gave it to a girl. Who? 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 Oh. Sorry. Bring us home. Woman. The woman card. Mrs. I Ganaway. win by default. Mrs. Awesome. Ganaway. <laughs> It's uh, Mrs. Sinkovic and my partners. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm Erica, everyone. Um, I, I've touched base with a few of you today, and thank you for listening. But I think one of the biggest hurdles and biggest elephants in the room that we haven't really discussed is some of the contracts that the independents are having to overcome um, are set by the major labels first, and they're building these these walls that are much harder uh, for the independent artists to overcome because they're actually writing their artists out of the deal with Spotify and, and other companies and um, getting those advances and not sharing those 
uh, directly with their artists, and then they're coming to the independents and saying, oh, hey, this is the exact same rate that we're paying Universal, so therefore you should agree to it, and everything's going to be hunky-dory when really the independents aren't part of that bigger pie, and the majors did have the opportunity to get more than a fraction of a penny per stream. Rhapsody, uh, RDO, they were all doing a penny per stream, a full penny per stream, and the independents were written out of the advances and the equity uh, that the majors were, and the majors had that opportunity um, to set a higher standard for everyone. Um, I don't know how many, how many entrepreneurs do you think it will take to overcome the walls that the majors have built? Well, one thing, so we have a lot of artists coming off of majors, but also like big indies who are distributed by The Orchard. No disrespect to anybody here who is with The Orchard. Um, but we have a, we have a ton of, of artists coming over from these kinds of places, um, and they, they do complain about the kind of issues you're talking about. There, there, there are ways that technology at least is making it easier. I don't know if this exactly answers the question. I don't know if there was a question, but um, I, one thing that uh, w when artists are able to get out of those contracts, um, technologically, this seems like sort of like a minor thing, but it's not minor, which is switching from from you know your major label distribution or your orchard distribution to something like DistroKid or CD Baby or TuneCore or whoever you want to go to is actually very complicated because you'd have to take your music down from one and put it up to the other and then you when you do that you lose your your iTunes reviews you may lose your Spotify playlist placements um, so one thing we're doing is working very closely uh, with the different stores and streaming services to make that not happen, to make it to make it easy to sort of take all that stuff that you got when you were with the label, um, and then move uh, move to and not a commercial for DistroKid because it could be any independent distributor and not lose all that stuff. How to make money in the music industry uh, overall and. Really, if we're changing formats, you know, we're not selling, well, we still sell vinyl, still sell CDs, but not as many as MP3s, FLAC, Wave, streaming, all of that. And the rates continue to go down as the format changes. Yes. Part of that is, is related to that all of those different places that you consume music, whether it's streaming, satellite, radio, buying stuff online, whatever it is, um, they're all um, negotiating different rates with labels depending on what the thing is that they're that they're giving to the consumers at the end goal. And we, like Haney brought it up, we don't know what those deals are, like what they include. Like it's just some large amount of money that makes it cost prohibitive to change it into some other like fair amount of money. Um, so that uh, the Recording Academy is working on, on getting some of that sorted out. Um, th it, there is uh, also copyright reform, of course, is a huge thing that we're working on that may, may help some of that too. Um, but right now, there is no equal compensation um, with, uh, across all of those different platforms. They're all a little bit different. And so for us as artists or creators making, making this music, it's hard to figure out how much we should be paid for this if we don't even know how much the market rate is for the people that are selling it for us, right? Um, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that um, we do have a big day of uh, lobbying happening here with our congressional representatives called Grammys in My District. It's on October 26th. Um, that's led by the Recording Academy and we're having meetings with our representatives on that day to say, these are the things that we need. We've got more than 2,000 members visiting over 300 districts all over the nation. Um, uh, I think uh, I think that would be a fantastic way for you to at least get some of your voice heard is to just write a letter to your representative and say, hey, I pay I taxes, do, yeah. this is really important to me. Um, and maybe they can at least start on that top level because that's something we can do. Um, that, that doesn't was, include uh, money. A2IM actually put me in contact with my local representative, and now I'm on their list to regularly sign petitions and awesome. get on the bill and stuff like that. So, yeah. Nice. A little all right. Form. Well, uh, thank you all. Thank you to all the uh, panelists. I appreciate you. Big hands to all the panelists. Yeah. All right. Now, just before we hit beer o'clock, we have one final demo. So Vince is going to come up and do this, and then we'll go right to beer o'clock. Woo! Thank you, guys. You are fabulous, as always.
Many thanks. Thanks a lot. My name is Vincent Favrat, and I'm the CEO of um, Musimap, which is a B2B cognitive technologies company that revolutionizes music recommendation thanks to humanized algorithm. So we are trying to solve some of the issues addressed in this panel by making a statement that music can be only well recommended if you take into account emotions, relations, and um, uh, influences. We are helping this person to find his way in a global library of 50 million songs according to his personality, his emotions, his taste, his uh, um, social context, and even his um, health status. To do so, we have worked during 15 years, having uh, worked also with 60 international experts to create a neural music network that encompasses 5 billion data points with 3 billion qualified relations between 50 million songs by 4.3 million artists. We master 400 nuances of moods in 100 listening situations with an extensive lexicology of 11,322 keywords, which are all the words that humans use to describe music. What do you do with this? We can achieve for the pros, the music supervisor, a very powerful uh, search engine where they can weight all the music genres and get the right track with the right tone. They can also trigger a, a request with uh, based on moods, with 18 moods family and 400 complex moods, so that they find the right uh, mood for a very specific uh, film scene or an advertisement. On the other end of the spectrum, you have uh, the end user that might want to access a great playlist on YouTube with two clicks. YouTube is the largest music streamers nowadays. Our system would allow him to click on one situation and to put one slider on his favorite music style and to trigger endless playlists of great music. You might see this uh, moody music bot that was uh, just last week awarded in Wien at an hackathon that would allow you to use Messenger to get recommended music according to your mood. I'm in love, I'm depressed, and you get directly a YouTube video with the music running. You can also uh, use uh, IoT compliance to uh, trigger something that would uh, decline 400 nuances of lights according to 400 moods for your smart home. That's a prize that was won last uh, weekend at the Berlin Act Day. But most of all, what this technology allows is psycho-emotional music profiling. So what we did here is to take the playlist of a world leader and to analyzing to run it into the system. We get with these 100 properties that are weighted inside of the system with a very complex lexicology, and we can create a profile that is very detailed. This word leader is analytical, it's stimulating, is sensitive, spiritual, inspired, resourceful, his favorite music genre is soul music, and he likes music that are influenced by gospel and Afro-American music. So who, this, who might this person uh, look like? Actually, you might have guessed that he's... Uh, so in love So lucky enough to have a president that can sing uh, Reverend uh, Al Green, which is not something so easy to do. With the technology, you can trigger endless playlists. In this case, I took the profile of Obama and I said, I want a nostalgic playlist for the evening, right? And you can play, trigger new playlists for Obama cruising in a very serious work context. Or you might say, uh, you know, you have this couple problem with the music in the car, you know? Sometimes you don't agree on the playlist that should be played. So let's say your wife has slightly other habits than you have. Then you might need these two profiles, and the technology might do a playlist that is not a compromise between you two, but a discovery platform that makes you uh, experiment and discover together new music. Also, you can do that for your family, for friends, for Obama at the beach, <laughs> with, with, with a different context of life. And that's the way we are working on this. As the election day is uh, coming close now, 
we have also run the system to the two candidates, Trump and Hillary Clinton. And we have taken their official Spotify accounts to do that. And what we get here is a profile that shows that Trump is a charismatic, grumpy, energetic, ambitious, but um, um, sarcastic and ironic and cold uh, leader who is not very spiritual and who likes gangster, gangster rap. So if we ask the system what track is the most representative of Trump's taste, oh, we get that. You can't even sing. You have to sing so you get some Oh, baby, I like it. That's the reality, the system triggered this track. <laughs> and that's the, actually it's part of his playlist and that's the track that fits the most to his, it's his personality, according to our system. You can do the same with Hillary Clinton and there you will see that she's confident, lively, optimistic, you know, proud, respect, respectful, and uh, idealist and visionary, but that she's not super grounded and that she loves uh, mid-tempo, pop, pop rock and, and dance pop. That freedom is the key words in the lyrics that is the most important, and that hope is the, the feeling that is the most predominant in a playlist. So it was a few, these were a few examples to show you what our technology could achieve. Of course, we have many interfaces where we can demo things live, so I just wanted to have you know, an hint of what we could do and to try to liberate music from its chain in the sense that we believe that music can find the right ears and that the you know, listeners don't necessarily have to do the hard work of searching for the right music. That's another take on things. Thanks a lot for your attention. Yep, hold on. I can see your passion. It was amazing. Oh, no. uh, um, I have a question about a mood-based rec music yeah, recommendation. Yeah. So I have, a, let's say, two different types of friends. When they're really depressed, some of them wants to listen to like super sad song where they can resonate with, and they just cry out together sing, in listening to the song. And some of them, they want some upbeat that you know, cheer them up. And some of them, they just want something like, you know, for the workout. So they just do workout to you know, get this thing you know, out. How do you know when, when I'm in the, in the like, depressed mood, what kind of music I would want? That's a good question. Actually, we, we can't. That's a bit scary, but we have to live with you for a while. So that means our technology is emotion sensitive, it's context aware, it's self-learning, and it's IoT compliant. So you would have to allow this cognitive assistant to live with you and to learn you know, if being pissed off after a day of work, you want hardcore electronic music in your car or you want to chill out music. From the start, we cannot really know it. We can make assessment. The, this cognitive assistant can make assessment, but it needs to learn uh, um, from your habits. So it's a, an integrated uh, technological solution that takes into account human expertise, social aggregation, um, signal analysis, collaborative filtering, and inputs from sensors. And that's this integration that allows us to size human intuition and to get something that is right, that, where you don't miss the boat, where you don't say, what is, why did the system recommend that? Say I'm, you know, just one person. Yes. I'm in a bad mood. I had a bad breakup last night. Sometimes I want to listen to super sad songs, and tomorrow I want to listen to some upbeat because I don't want to be in a, you know, stuck in a bad mood. How do I articulate, you know, what kind of music I want to listen to? So I believe, you know, the the streamers, uh, the reason why partly they are limited for me is that they're using either human creation, which doesn't scale, or uh, a statistical approach where you get recommended music or artists you already know. And that's, that's for me this, the past, or is today. Tomorrow we are already in this you know, era of intelligence assistant where technology recognizes your intent and provides you with the right content. So it's not, it's not easy to do. We have to, we have to, you have to, to be with you and to propose a set of experience that fits yourself. It's what I call highly personalized experience. If you want to have a, a set of five playlists uh, proposed to you every time with one that fits your moods, and what then is a discovery playlist, and one that is the tracks you were listening to when you were a teenager, then the, the cognitive assistant should provide that to you because it's very highly personalized. So it's really uh, you know, learning how to 
service and to, and to provide you with very, a very tailor-made system to liberate music and to get you the right songs. And you know, the band you might like the most is maybe a little band from Oslo that is an indie band that does no marketing power to get to your ears. If I have your psycho-emotional profiling, and these bands fit exactly to the instrumentation, the emotions, and the, you know, the genre tersity, a type of voice that you like, the machine will bring it to you. And that's what we call a humanized algorithm. And that's what we believe in. All right, let's have a big hand for Vincent. Thank you all. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Train. 